like the coolest story in Apple News. Yeah. Hey, are we online? We oh. are. We're online. So, you, should we tell who what we're talking <clears throat> about? Welcome to the Web Monkey Podcast. My Woo. name is Jake Spurlock, and joined with me today is once again executive editor of Wired, Joe Brown, and for the first time. Eric Stoyer, whose title is... Oh, it's it's really, really too long <laughs> and uh, annoying, so don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Eric's on our social team. No, no, no. Eric is our director of audience development. Eric is... Is that right? That's... Uh, well, you, you missed senior. There is the senior oh. part of it. Who's the a, junior director of audience development? Oh, we haven't hired that person yet. Is oh. there really going to be a junior development or audience directory? No. Development? No, Senior, on a junior. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in every, every rank in that uh, category. Can I tell you a story about titles? It's, yeah. So when I was at Gizmodo, when I took over, everybody had titles like junior reporter, reporter, and senior reporter. Mm-hmm. And we were having a lot of trouble getting one reporter in to see a certain tech company, who I will not mention, but for purposes of the podcast let's make up a name call them Schmerizen and so we couldn't get our um, our reporter in to see this person they had a hot new phone coming out or something and I finally I had a relationship with the the woman who headed PR for them so I called her up and I was like why won't you let our guy in to come see you and she was like the junior reporter she's like you're sending the Hardy Boys over here. I don't care about... <laughs> I'm not going to talk to the Hardy Boys. And so uh, after that moment, everybody at Gizmodo was staff writer. Mm-hmm. There was no senior reporter, junior reporter, anything. Um, so to that, I, I think like you could call me junior king of the world, and I'd be like, eh... I think I'll stay executive editor at Wired. Yeah, that's a good point though. It's like it's like it's uh, I think it makes sense for you know people to have titles that actually get the the company that they work for the things that it needs and not, right. not really worry so much about uh, yeah. Kind of interesting. Sounds like pancakes to me. Full stack. <sighs> have you noticed people throwing that term around just like Pancake so developer? much? Yeah, everybody's like, oh yeah, I'm full stack. Like we had some guy come in to give a demo about something. I won't say what because I'm about to insult him a little bit <laughs> and, and he was like he was showing like the demo sheet about him and his partners and he's like yeah I'm full stack you know I'm basically a designer who knows how to code and like his presentation was all jacked up and like <laughs> fonts were all messed up and, and these are things that I probably wouldn't have noticed before working with Scott but now you know with Scott I'm oh, like oh yeah. you should have chosen tungsten rounded for that one Absolutely. dumbass um, because we have such a, an emphasis on fonts here at Wired um, on a related note uh, San Francisco meetup that I'm really excited about is Waffle JS. <laughs> what? Wow. what is this? <laughs> um, it makes sense. It's a monthly meetup with waffles and a side of JavaScript. So that sounds delicious. They bring in a food truck and you uh, and you eat waffles and then you talk about JavaScript. That's and cool. That's open to everyone. It's open to everyone. Yeah, and it's twelve bucks. It involves. It includes waffles. Which in this neck of the woods, twelve bucks for a waffle. I've paid twice that for just the waffles. That's a great deal. And no JavaScript. <laughs> what about somebody like me who's significantly better at waffles than JavaScript? <laughs> I think that you'd still find uh, a pretty happy medium here. On the event is starts off with get some tasty waffles and drinks, and then a performance, uh, maybe musical, maybe uh, maybe JavaScripty, um, and then and then some speakers, introductions, building blocks, literally. Um, exploring mental illness through open source, uh, pixels and tactics, adventures of building 2D tactics RPG in the browser, how JavaScript engines work, and why you should care. 
So, I mean... Where is this event, Jake? This is here in Soma at the Street Food Park in the barn. So over on, oh, yeah. what is that, 11th or... On, on Dubose. On Dubose, yeah. I drive, I ride home by there every day. Yeah. Did they pay you to talk about that? No, they didn't. Free free sponsorship. Wow. This if is you have, remaking media on the fly. If you have food in your name, there's a good chance that I can talk about you for free. <laughs> <laughs> but what are we here to really talk about today, Joe? I don't know. It's your podcast, man. So this week, iOS 9 launched, and along with that came the highly anticipated, much talked about, overly developed Apple News product. And uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit about our involvement with that and what the last few months have been without uh, revealing anything from NDAs or other software licensing agreements, but kind of talk about what we are doing. Um, both from an edit side and from a tech side and a social side, if you will. So. And how this fits into our overall plan, actually. That's the thing that's most exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you kick it off? Because you know exactly <clears throat> what we're allowed to talk about on the tech side. So we, we, we talked about this on the podcast a few episodes ago. Um, basically what we're doing and how we're, how we're handling it. Um, in, in a nutshell, this is all API driven. This is us taking content that we publish on our website um, running it through a processor and building it into a structured uh, data model and then sending it over to Apple along with images and other requisite things. And then they decode it on, the, on their end and then publish it. So we have two channels. We have a sandbox channel, which most people will never see, and then we have a production channel. So we send things through our QA process into the sandbox. I'm QAing right now. Joe is, Joe is actually our lead QA engineer. I've been promoted. <laughs> um, so what we do is we publish things through the sandbox. We have an update routine that will go uh, hit it to the sandbox. We can check it in the sandbox, make sure everything looks good, and then um, send it over to the production channel when it's ready to go. I'm going to send this Metal Gear post to production right from this podcast. I'm doing it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Um, so it's, it's been kind of an exciting thing. One of the difficult things, one of the, I mean, the hard, the hard part about this is um, if we were looking at this purely from a data perspective, data alone would be like text and... Um, image URLs and things like that. Um, we don't have totally clean data, though. What we have is HTML inside of blog posts. Uh, and I say blog posts lightly. But I mean, this is these are WordPress articles. So one of, one of the hard things that we've had to deal with is converting um, HTML, uh, WordPress short codes, and, and other things like that into this format that Apple wants. And so... Um, the, the real expert behind all of this and the person who did 99.99% of all of that is our director of technology, Kathleen Vigneault, who was on this podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, and so it's been a real exciting process for her, and it's been a total headache at the exact same time. Um, one of the things that came up today is um, as we kind of like really ramped into the like full production side of this is all of the fringe edge cases and how we really need to build in more testing into our uh, into into the product, so we can run um, specific unit tests on specific types of content. Uh, like a, an example that came up today, we had like um, some square brackets <coughs> around a T, uh, indicating that it had been capitalized um, as a from the original source. So in the markdown format that Apple's looking at, that's the start of a link, and not just. You know, a T with square brackets around it. I'm learning more about Markdown in this one day than I had ever thought I would learn. Yeah. 
but it's actually super fascinating, right? I mean, the difference between all these syntaxes that we are writing through, it's almost like, I mean, I'm sure you go through this, and I'm sure people who are more serious devs out there experience the same revelation, and for them, this is like when a stoner is like, oh my God, man, like the sun is the birth of life. Um, but like, it really is learning the language of our future communication right now. These syntaxes, the thing that blew my mind the most today was how you know, our parsers having trouble, for example, with italics. Yeah. Because in Markdown, the, itali the, the syntax for italics is an asterisk around the word, mm -hmm. right? On, one on either side. And so we're having, we're, we're pretty much past the rough part now, but what's interesting to me is like, I had never known before where that kind of written idiom of putting asterisks around a word to, to add emphasis came from. Mm -hmm. And it comes from Markdown. And for me, I was like, Whoa, man, the sun is the birth of all life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing, too. Like, if you see, like, um, underscores, like, in around a word or the uh, same thing, like, meaning that's, because that, that's another italic syntax is you can italicize something that way. Or putting, like, um, hashes in front of headings, like, that can indicate, like, one hash can be, like, an H1, two, three, four, five, six, mm -hmm. as far as you need. So, yeah, I, I really like Markdown. Uh, do you guys know where Markdown came from? It's John Gruber, right? Yeah, John Gruber created it. Which really makes me now understand why he is, like, so beloved at Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, this product uses Markdown. I mean, a lot of, like, it's not to say, like, a lot of stuff uses Markdown. Like, GitHub uses Markdown. Like, I write GitHub markdown every day with commit messages and stuff like that so. what is the advantage of markdown versus and i don't even know what what language it replaces well so the cool it's it's a markup language right it's not even really a language so much as it is a syntax mm -hmm. i guess you could say um the the goal of markdown is to make human readable like take normal data and make it more human readable so like when you write html you have like a big old braces and like yeah. spans and H's and all this stuff indicating like what the different types of text are. The goal of Markdown is to make it so that something contains more data but is still humanly readable. And it at the same time, it makes it a lot faster and it makes it a lot easier to, to read. There's actually kind of a, a lot of like templating things that are kind of related to Markdown but dealing more with like HTML specific things. So like Markdown is really just for text when you need to go into like add divs and you know other stuff like that. Markdown doesn't really have the complexity. The one that I really like is called Jade and um, it's all about indentation and then um, and then just braces and huh. parentheses and stuff like that. I wonder if our technical designer Jade name is actually Jade or if she changed it to be like Neo. So like we want to matrix name. Yeah, we're going to build this static site generator for some of the like custom features and stuff we need. Uh -huh. And I want to make sure that when we do that, we use Jade as our templating framework because it would be awesome to have Jade writing Jade. <laughs> and it's just my little nerdy thing that needs to happen. But anyways, <laughs> no, I feel you on that one. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where does this, where does, where does Apple news fit in like the greater publishing world of wired? <clears throat> So it's actually like Apple News fundamentally for Wired represents one thing for sure, and that is more work. And so at first when we started talking about Apple News, I was like, come on, man, I'm already working like seven days a week. And, mm -hmm. and then I started thinking about it, and I got really, really excited, and that's kind of where I landed because Apple News may or may not take off. I'm not sure. Um, I 
don't have the ability to call that. I haven't seen any data yet. One thing we know is it's going to be on an, an awful lot of devices. But everybody is starting to play in this sort of big tech company allows you to send content directly to your customer's field. From Facebook with their instant articles to the announcements from Google and Twitter that they're going to start doing hosted articles as well. Um, Apple doing this is almost an inevitability. Um, it's a way of getting around some of the tr the the lost revenue um, opportunities that uh, that basically ad blockers present. Uh, and it's also you know if you're using, I'm sure from Apple's perspective, if you're using a, like a an iPhone reading an article on Wired and Wired is getting paid from the from the the ad that's on there, you maybe feel like you deserve some of that money. So I get why they're doing it, but for me, it's exciting because it is allowing my team and myself to learn about being nimble and about publishing on a lot of different platforms. And this is, whether or not Apple News works or not, it is undoubtedly the future that we are gonna be publishing our same stories in a lot of different places and a lot of different formats. And anything that gets us in the habit of like, even just me doing QA today, that's a fantastic experience for me. I don't think you can even understand what it is for me to learn about Markdown and to learn about QA and learn about the process you need to take something that you love and move it to another platform. And that really plays to the strengths of Wired. And I'm going to sound like a press release right now, but like <laughs> you got to listen to it because you downloaded this thing. Um, and it, it, Wired's strength is not in one format. It's not the paper of the magazine, although it's very nice. It's not the structure of the website, although it's awesome and we have toiled over it for a long time. It is not our social feeds, even though Eric you know, has put years into making sure that our social presence is curated and high quality and representative of the work that we do. The actual strength of Wired is in the stories. It's the point of view that we add to them. It's the effort that we put into them. It's the production value on all of these fronts that we put in. So learning to apply that to something like Apple News or maybe next month it's Google News or Twitter News or Facebook Instant, for me, like this is an amazing moment in media because it's showing that the web is an app that runs on the internet. And it is the place where we have traditionally published the numerically vast majority of our stories. But that is changing. Um, you know, it harkens back to the web is dead cover where we were saying that, oh, you know, apps are taking everything over. We might have called that a little bit early because uh, the web certainly didn't die after that cover. But the wheels were in motion. We're starting to see, especially in the media world, these things coming true, that, that there are more platforms that we need to take really, really seriously. Does Wired need an app to succeed? Maybe, but I mean, here's the question. Like, what does Wired's app look like? Is it just like piping the website into a walled garden so that we don't have to get hit by ad blockers? I don't know. I mean, I, if I, we're going to make an app, and, and I really take seriously the responsibility that comes with owning a piece of somebody's home screen, mm -hmm. if we're going to ask for a piece of that real estate on somebody's phone, their most personal gadget, I want to make sure we're doing something incredibly different, incredibly like beautiful, wonderful, and just useful. I mean, we don't want to let our readers down. The worst thing that could possibly ever happen is that if somebody who loves Wired downloads our app, puts it on their home screen, opens it up, and is like, eh. Like, I, just, I, I can't violate that trust. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's been kind of the interesting thing with Apple News just over the last day or two is watching and seeing the kind of stuff that's coming into that platform. And not just from us, but New York Times, Vox, you know, lots of other publishers, you know, and the kind of quality and the kind of content that they're that they're publishing is, is really being interesting. What did you think was interesting about it? Like, the, 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 what did it say to you? Um, well, for for a couple different things, starting off simply with the design, um, is it like I'm looking at the New York Times right now, and, and an article on the New York Times section looks like an article from the New York Times online. Um, the one thing that I like is it's not saying that I have a limit left and only right. nine more articles this month, which is which is different. Um, well, okay, one thing, quick thing I want to say about that is that you know part of the narrative around all this stuff is that these companies are doing this purely out of the interest of owning the experience, and there's no doubt that that's a large part of it. But that's a good example of the experience actually improving quite a lot. And so them you know, forcing media companies, including Wired, to do things that make the experience better because, I mean, quite frankly, the experience of going from Facebook to Twitter or any of the, uh, the sort of third-party channels that people use in great part to get to the stuff that we do uh, and then landing on a page. I mean, there's things that we don't control that sometimes make that experience suboptimal. So I'm very especially interested to see what people like us and other media companies are pushed to do in order to make the experience as uh, positive as, as, as can possibly be. At what point do we start sharing Apple share Apple News URLs online? We're doing that yeah, today. yesterday. Yesterday, today? Yeah. That's awesome. It's actually kind of cool. Like It works pretty well where we tweet out or put on, I guess Facebook doesn't work super well, but we tweet out a Apple News URL. You click that URL, and if you're on an iDevice, it'll open up in Apple News. Mm-hmm. If you don't have Apple News installed, like maybe you're on iOS 8, or if you're on uh, you know, an Android device or maybe a desktop computer, it just opens up the canonical URL, mm-hmm. which is great. It's good for us. At some point, too, we're going to see some <clears throat> analytics, and I'm, I'm curious to see what our what. The I'm supposed to get analytics tomorrow. I'm super excited. Yeah, this is uh, it, it's exciting. Do you know why I'm so excited about analytics tomorrow? Poor K. Can, like, let's just stop and remember how many like iOS devices there are in the world. There are hundreds of millions of, of iOS devices in the world, and. I don't know what percentage of them are upgrading to Apple News or to iOS 9 even as early as, as guys like us do, but there's going to be, I think, a seven-figure number of people who have, or maybe even eight-figure, who have upgraded to iOS 9 already and are playing with Apple News. And traffic is not the only thing that is important to me, but I love traffic. <laughs> Traffic's Love great. traffic. And like, <laughs> the, there, there is a possibility of a really real increase in traffic using this app. I mean, there are a lot of people who are using Apple products. And if they get, they decide they want to get their news through Apple News, well, I mean, we're going to be there. And, like, hopefully we will profit by it. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, too, in the release of iOS 9 is um, Safari released their uh, content blocker API. Yeah. So I think we should touch on this a little bit. Um, so as of, as of now with iOS 9, um, you can install apps that work as content blockers for Safari. And what that means is a couple different things. Um, one, you can turn off tracking scripts. And this is probably the most egregious and the most, um, uh, I don't want to say scary, but the most ideal thing to turn off is um, things like Google Analytics or things like Omniture or things like scripts that will follow you around the internet and see what you do, what you browse, what your device is, 
time you spend on site, blah, 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 all of these different things like that. Uh, the second thing that it would allow you to turn off is ads. So instead of when you come to wired.com, you might see an ad or three or whatever it is. So you can now block trackers and ads. Now, the problem with just blocking ads or sorry, um, blocking trackers, you could say, I want to block all the trackers. But ads also have their own trackers built into them. So it's hard to just say, I want to block uh, trackers because and leave the ads alone because like, you're like, well, from the deep part of my heart, I want to make sure that this website still gets money um, because the ads themselves can still have trackers inside of them too. So it's a, it's a tricky, tricky thing. I find the word tracker disturbing. Right. I mean, like sometimes I know that like it is somebody watching my habits, but sometimes it's just like, when you disable trackers, you could be disabling my chart beat pixel, right? Which then allows me to not be able to see that you're interested in that story and that you got there from Slate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if most users consider this stuff, but I guess the audience of this podcast do. I'm sure that a lot of people who are on this, who are listening, both of you probably, uh, <laughs> probably, <Hey>. are, <laughs> pro- probably, probably block stuff all the time. Um, yeah. But. You know, those, the, these are the tools that we use to calibrate which things to show you. Mm-hmm. Um, if we do a bunch of stories about zebras and, like, they get a lot of traffic, we're going to do more stories about zebras because the old, the old story is you give the readers what they want. Uh, and that's what people come to Wired for is hard-hitting journalism about zebras. We have a zebra scoop coming up, man. You joke, but like in the coming months, we are going to have to we're we're going to blow the <laughs> we world away. We had the, uh, the 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 piece of day about what giraffes sound like when they sleep. So that's, yeah. there we go. There there we actually, go. it was a hit. It's velt journalism. Ah, <laughs> I see. But but on that though, you know, like I, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I wonder, you know, to what extent you feel like the 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 line has to be walked between. So so one of the things that we've done is we have tried to reach out in ways to people that are using Adblock and, and sort of compel them through messages to not use Adblock. To, and, and, and one of the things we definitely saw is that people are sympathetic. To they, they have certainly read a lot about the challenges that you know, companies like in the media space face. And uh, a lot of people were uh, amenable to turning Adblock off. But then at some point, some degree of those people decided that the experience was not... Uh, good enough to continue with that. So, but I think that there's a substantial amount of the audience, especially people who are uh, sympathetic, but even people that just like have a, a great strong affinity for Wired as a as a, a group of people and, and a company that do interesting things that would be fine with certain types of tracking like the sort that you're talking about. But you have to, I think, we have to think a lot more about how we walk the line between making it something that they're uh, that they're fine with us doing and and and, and maybe not giving them. Uh, things that, that have compelled them in the past to turn on tracking and mass. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the... Uh, Eric is the author of the Do Us a Solid and Disable Your Ad Blocker <laughs> message. I don't know if you've seen that. Winner of an A-B test by point uh, four percent I think. <laughs> what was mine? Mine was like, derp, derp, ad block, derp, please help. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, his is the victor. And, and we got a lot of feedback after he... After people had... Uh, disabled that that like they disabled it and they got this egregious video pop-up ad and they were like get bent (laughs) we're turning this back on but actually those messages did not go into a black box um if either of you guys were one of those people who sent those emails um we're actually turning off that horrible video pop-up yeah um which is pretty cool yeah so 
Remind me to ask Matt Simon to do a story about zebras. <laughs> uh, so one of the things, if we, if, we, if we jump back in time about six years ago when the iPad came out, uh, the iPad, I, think it, I don't think it was the iPad that was the nail in the coffin, but I think that magazine publications were dwindling before that. But the iPads kind of like really like sealed the fate of a lot of magazines. That's when I don't believe that. So my question then, Joe, yeah, uh, is content blocking, is ad blocking the end of online publishing as we know it? No. Will there be uh, will there be money to be made in online publishing? Yes. Can people still survive? Totally. Will Wired be around in ten years? Yes. And why is that? Because. All right. No, I mean. <laughs> You know, the, the web is an application that runs on the internet. If your definition of web publishing or internet publishing, rather, is websites that do exactly what Wired does right now, I think that if you went forward in time 10 years, you might be surprised at the things you see. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a more omnipresent internet around us, and it is actually much more physical than the web is because it's based on the devices that you have with you and you wear and you take with you and you encounter. Publishing is something that has been going on since before there was paper. I mean, there was the Code of Hammurabi scrawled into the stone wall, or I guess cuneiform, so pressed into the clay and hung on a stone wall in a restroom in Babylon, not Babylon, it was a Mes- somewhere in Mesopotamia, not the best history student. Um, and that was publishing, and that was broadcast to a public audience. There have, there have been, you know, you fast forward to the Gutenberg Bible you, and you have something that was printed and distributed. That, meta, that metaphor, that method of printing something on paper and delivering it to people survived for a very, very long time. This is why you have a building, a, a print, New York Times printing press next to JFK Airport because they have for hundreds of years printed things and sent them out to people. We survived a very long time with a very stable metaphor for communicating with people. This is changing. Um, podcasts are, are changing everything. Videos are changing everything. Slideshows are changing everything. And brands like Wired are working really hard to figure out, like, how's the best way to tell our stories? It's really possible that, like, in 10 years from now, Wired exists in an, in, in an Oculus app store, and that's where we're getting the most traffic. And then... 10 years from then, it's going to be in, I don't know, an implantable dental filling. I don't know. I, but wherever <laughs> people want to experience stories, good media brands will be there. And to, I, I think you really need to separate the brand from the device, whether that device is a magazine or an iPad or a phone. iPads didn't kill magazines. Right. We, I mean, Wired was the first, well, among the first publications to actually publish on an iPad. And you know, we tried it. It worked pretty well for a while, and then other things started to work better. People decided they wanted to read it on the web, so we refocused and we're more on the web. People right now want to hear podcasts. We got a, we got more podcasts than we had before. We are ramping up efforts in that. People want Apple News. We think we want Apple News actually. So <laughs> so, so we're experimenting with this, and just this experience of being nimble, just <clears throat> being a brand that can transcend this period of change, though that's exciting. And the fact that we have people here who are excited about that, and it's not just me, that I think is a testament to, to Wire's longevity. Absolutely. Uh, Eric, let me ask you, one of my favorite things about about like consuming Wired is Instagram. 
Well, what's your role in the, how, how do you guys curate Instagram or curate wired on Instagram? Like what's the process? What do you guys do? I work with the photo team and obviously they source amazing you know, work that goes into posts that uh, live on the website. And then we figure out a way to uh, identify the images from those series that will work best just in that, you know, that the way that people experience Instagram, which is uh, the images have to sort of have a certain you know, like dimension to them and, and certain colors definitely work better than others. We've done a little bit of that. I mean, like, in like certain things just work well, like like wildlife works really well. Like any time we ever post anything that's like underwater photography, it explodes. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And then sort of I end up uh, writing versions of the story that tell enough of the story to make the experience of seeing it on Instagram its own self-contained uh, you know, piece of, of material that you want to read and come back to, but also hopefully uh, impels you to to check out the more full version on the website. But I, initially, I, I did a lot, a lot more with an eye towards trying to use it as a teaser to the website. And then I've, I've moved away from that as I realized that really it has to be its own experience. It has to like cumulatively, I think, give you a feeling and a sense of what Wired is, and not just be a series of advertisements for longer posts on the website. So really think of it as being like how we port the. Experience experience of Wired's really uh, you know, excellent photo editing and, and photography that is produced in-house too to the Instagram experience. Yeah, it's really neat. Uh, do you guys have a hard and fast rule on square images or non-crop? Like since this changed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I did the first one that was not a square image uh, just during the Apple event last week. So we had a Christy was there and took a photo just of the outside of the building. It was not square. It didn't work as a square crop. So that was our first uh, attempt at taking advantage of that. And it performed fine. I, I, <laughs> no one yelled at me for doing it that way. Um, there's, there's definitely certain parameters we want to try to stick to. And, you know, people's uh, photographers don't always want to be cropped square. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see if we get requests for people that we, when we asked if we can uh, use their their work on our Instagram if they if they uh, ask not to be crop square but but you know I, I kind of like the idea that there's that, that's actually the one thing that Instagram has done like there's all these features that they've rolled out super super slowly over the last couple of years and that's the one where I feel like is the least necessary actually I thought I was excited about the idea of not having to be constrained by dimensions uh, that that were standardized but it actually is the one that I think has made the experience the least the least interesting least fun I kind of liked that one constraint just to have to have the square. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you seen uh, the people who curate their Instagram profile pages? So if you, it's not about right. the, the single photo. It's if you go to their profile. Oh, we do that. And you look at their profile page, and there are, like, a mosaic. I'm trying to set you up, man. Oh. oh, oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen people that do that? Uh, and there's, like, a mosaic of photos that adds up to be, like, one big, like, puzzle piece image. Um, I've found that the Instagram thing has really the, – the, the different shaped photos – are, are kind of detracting from that. Right. Have you heard of people like that, Eric? As a matter of fact, yes. Uh, wow. Yeah, you ever seen this? A little, uh, all according our, to the Wired All of our Instagram. covers, if you go to Wired and then you look at the photos of Wired is, the, is actually the, the, the name of the tab. So it's the one on the far right that looks like a little person in a portrait. If you hit that, that's the one where uh, any picture of, that someone has taken of you and tagged your account with shows up. And you can choose to uh, only allow certain images. So we, we use it as a place to display all of our covers. It's a, you know, a cute little way of, of, of doing this. And it's yes, an Easter egg. It's an Easter egg. So what's the process for that? 
actually producing this. Yeah. So I initially I used to get together groups of people who work here and had I thought it would be fun for everyone on their personal accounts to do it and then tag. There was an email and I didn't get to do it the one time, so I'm still a little well, bitter about that. Like, <laughs> we, we, could, we could do that together some other time. I'd be more than happy to do that. The reason it did not work to do that is because, and I actually, as we were having the meeting, realized this was going to happen, is that someone was going to leave Wired and then they were going to delete that months oh. later from their Instagram account and uh, mess up the entire grid. And not, not only on that on that. Uh, issues covered but everyone going forward would fall out of uh, the sink of the grid so that happened and so we ended up deleting all of them and now i have a separate instagram account called wired photo where i just post all of them into and then i tag them and uh and and, and do it that wired photo a private account it is not a private account, but there's nothing that happens there except for posting uh, images, those. Like, basically cropped images of the cover. Interesting. It's got 331 followers. Yeah, well, there's a lot of spam bots out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> spam bots need some love, too. <laughs> I have one question, and I know you probably have other stuff, but I wanted to, if, if you wouldn't mind taking a minute, to talk about what your ideal version of a wired app would look like. If you just brainstorming for five minutes around what that would look like. So I, I don't know what the right... I don't know what the right app for Wired is. Um, if I had to imagine, if like, if it was like entirely up to me, I think it would closely look like this Apple News app, but it would just be an entirely Wired experience, mm-hmm. and it would just showcase both the articles and the images and galleries in a really nice way, um, and just be nice and simple. The one thing that I, uh, on a related thing, that's kind of interesting is the New York Times like breaking news app. I think that would be kind of interesting in a similar vein. We do a lot of publishing here, and it might be interesting for, like, specifically those, like, just seeing what's fresh right now, something like that, too. Yeah, I mean, BuzzFeed and New York Times apps, the ones that are the most successful for them, are absolutely the the breaking news ones. Yeah. Um, We just don't break news that much. Like, that's not our thing. Like, you don't come to Wired for, like, the latest news about the tsunami. You come to us for the analysis. Yeah. And that's been a little bit of a hurdle when it comes to figuring out our, our, our publishing strategy. So we wouldn't do that. I think that if I were to make a Wired app, I would just love to, to make it some kind of like like a very Wired experience. Like the idea would be something like you have like a, a slider and it's you have five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then you select one of those and we deliver you a series of articles based on things that you have predetermined that you like and stuff that you've read already, already mm-hmm. and have rated that I would read this again. So just sort of like a wired experience because mm. our storytelling is our strong suit. Or maybe you, we deliver you a series of, of slideshows that take the same amount of time. One thing that's interesting about newsrooms uh, just generally is the character of everybody in the newsroom. Um, like what if you had like a social network limited to a company that's publicly available to everyone else. Meaning like, what if like your Slack chat or your, um, your, the tweets of editors and design team and stuff like that, or, you know, so like you see all of the stories, but you also see the back channel stuff that might be kind of interesting too. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, I do like that a lot. I think that the experiences that I've enjoyed the most, I mean the Buzzfeed one I've talked about a lot uh, in conversations with Joe at least. And, uh, I, I like it for two reasons. One is that it is it fe- always feels fresh, basically, no matter when you plug into it, and it feels curated. So it's certainly not all of BuzzFeed. It is a you know a a, a small piece of it. Sounds like go hey, on. Are you uh, are you streaming? Yeah, we're streaming on Facebook. Oh, that wow. we are recording the web, <laughs> recording the Web Monkey podcast. There's Jake. What's up? There's Eric. 
So oh, you're you're on a really good point. I think the uh, the other, <laughs> the other <laughs> thing I like about the BuzzFeed News app is that it, it like other BuzzFeed products that I enjoy the most, it does not constrain itself to only uh, linking to BuzzFeed stories. That it is a actually a really great curated collection of stories. Uh, there is an emphasis on ones that source uh, from BuzzFeed, but you uh, you can go there and I'd say, I don't know, it's maybe 30% of the stories are things that are uh, from around the web. And it feels, you know, less like just another way that to, to, to build traffic for a website, even though that is in great part what it is, and more like a, uh, a, a utility that becomes more valuable because it doesn't feel as shilly just for its own brand. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think a wired version of that could be, you know, I, I really do like the pared down curated aspect of it. So I feel like there was something that I could, it was, and I like what you said about it being super simple as being mm-hmm. like the, 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 the key. If I had a wired app on my phone and I hit it and basically at any time throughout the day, I kind of just got a sense of what the 10 biggest stories or the ones that we thought were a combination of biggest in terms of popularity, but also the most important. And there was some mm-hmm. level of curation happening in there by people. Uh, but also maybe it was algorithmically being served by just sort of like what's hot or what's new or some combination of those things. To me, just having a fresh set of stories to look at frequently throughout the day that seem important and like these are the big stories I need to be checking out right now, that to me would be, you know, and that's really all I would need to have, not not any other features to it. We've talked about like um, a separate newsletter for the morning, you know, for our first update or something. I think it could actually be neat if there was a wired app that just delivered you like the, the commute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the idea of a commute is something that's so incredibly wired, right? The fact that you you go to work in a way that would allow you to to consume media telegraphs the fact that maybe you are urban or you're you're taking public transit even if you don't have to, or maybe you're in a driverless car, <laughs> or you have a spaceship, uh, and and so the idea that we could actually make something for an environment that we endorse could be super interesting. So maybe we create like a, a stitched together video of things that happened before or a, a mix of slideshows and videos and long form articles or something that takes a certain amount of time. And that could be a super like interesting app. Absolutely. It sounds a lot like podcasting, <laughs> like a specific podcast for, for a specific type of person. Mm-hmm. And uh, like... As you were talking about that, Joe, I, I just thought of Dignation, like 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 flashbacks to Dignation, like just having two people sitting on a couch and it's like, this is what is the most important thing to pay attention to right now is, you know, this group of stories or something like that. Um, something like that could be very fascinating. And whether it's an audio delivery or it's a collection of links, you know, like the medium is is doesn't necessarily depend or maybe the opposite. The medium could depend on your mode of transportation. You know, like if you're sitting on BART all morning, interesting. Yeah. If you're sitting on BART all morning, you know, maybe a video that you have offline, like it's that you downloaded to your device and you can just watch would be best. But if you're, uh, if you're in the car, you want an audio thing. So initially you set preferences. Like I commute by train without, without Without wireless. I drive to work, I walk to work, I run to work, I bike to work, I'm uh-huh. interested in technology or business or science, mm-hmm. I have 25 minutes, yeah. and every morning we serve you something up. That'd be great. That'd be super cool. Who's going to build it? You. Crap. I'll take a crack at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be really interesting, though. And I'd love to hear, you know, I, I love talking about podcasting. It's like, you know, it is... It, it, for a variety of reasons, one is because you know we were talking a little bit before about is this thing that's 
you know, it's, it feels very prevalent and important and the media companies should be you know, doing interesting things with it and we're, we're trying these out and it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's, I, I'm always just fascinated by like how much time I spend with them and how it's essentially a medium that did not exist 10 years ago, you know, like, like in anyone's life in a real way. Like it was a, a notion and it existed literally, but not in a, in a way that people uh, experience daily. And it's, and it's, but I mean, did public radio exist? But it's different. I think it's totally I, I, different. I, I totally agree yeah. with you. I'm, I think it's yeah. totally different. I mean, I think it's, uh, there was actually a great New York Times article, I think, last week about that, uh, arguing for it being a totally different medium than radio. I mean, it, it facilitates sorts of conversations. It, it, as a form, it's different. Uh, but, but it facilitates sorts of conversations that, 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 that just wouldn't have existed before. But the form is different, like even just down to the nitty-gritty details of something like, you know, it, when you listen to radio at the top of every, like, station break, every 15 minutes they're announcing the station, and it, it, that totally gives it a different flow. Like, if you mm-hmm. have subscribed to a podcast and it's on your device and you're listening to it, like, you already know what it is, so you can just kind of take for granted that there are certain things you don't have to keep referring back to or whatever like that. That's, it's, it's one small thing, but it informs the entire dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the types of interviews and, and, like, the fact that you're not, you know, that, that even one show isn't constrained to being, you know, the amount of time that a show is, like, you have from X time to x time you could make it some episodes are 20 minutes and some are two hours like you know there's the the early episodes of Marin all tended to kind of cap out at about 50 minutes to an hour but then there would be some that were like an hour and a half and you would experiment with you know shorter episodes and then doing sort of stacking two interviews on top of each other and I, I think those things are, are just about the form but they actually you know really inform the the content of it as well and so I think it's and not I don't I, apparently I'm not arguing with you because you agree with this that it is its own uh, medium but that's that is so fascinating to me how much attention I put into them how it takes my ability away to pay attention to movies or TV shows or uh, reading on the web I mean like it's just you only have so many hours in a day and if you spend two or three of them in a day listening to podcasts and you're not the kind of person that can do that while you do two or three other things, <laughs> then, then there it is. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you feel like, you know, the, the ideal Wired podcasts are. I think we're, we're trying some stuff out, and there are pieces of it that, uh, that work well, and then there are other pieces that don't work well, like me talking a, a real long time. But. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're saying super interesting things. Podcast is, 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 a, is an incredibly dense medium, right? If you think about what you do in a podcast, we, we, if it's a 30-minute podcast, 30 minutes of, of talking is probably the equivalent of what, like a two-hour movie? It's, and usually the subject matters aren't just like, tell a bunch of jokes. It's like we're actually <laughs> having a pretty intense conversation. Uh, and the fact that people can listen to two or three of them, or I mean, Jake, you listen to say eight hours of podcasting a day? Just about, probably. I don't actually understand how you aren't just a noodle. Well, you listen to it really fast. So maybe the retention isn't as high, but it's pretty high. Then there are people like Ben Cherlin, one of our other engineers, and he watches movies while he codes. So he'll be sitting there and just like working away. Wow. And there's like a movie on the other screen. Yeah. Me, honestly, if like a pen rolls across my desk, I'm like, squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like I said last week, I only do it while I'm commuting. So it's not, it can be focused on it. But my Tetris game is on point. Like, <laughs> do you Tetris while podcasting? Oh, yeah. Wow. I. This, this sounds pretty stupid, uh, because it is. Um, I play a lot of Tetris on my commute every day. Yesterday, and this is no lie, I played a 35-minute game of Tetris. And I was leaned up against the, like, I have a long ride on BART every morning. And so I'm leaned up against the wall, 
And I finished the game pulling into the Montgomery station. My shoulder and neck were just killing me because <laughs> I had been in this like Tetris strain while standing at a weird angle for half an hour. So uh, it's pretty bad. Did you have a Game Boy? Oh, yeah. Do you find that the touchscreen Tetris experience is even remotely as good as Game Boy Tetris? I think I'm way better on a touchscreen now. Really? But I mean, I play a lot. So I can't Tetris without like the AB button and the cross. Yeah, I've gotten pretty good at it, so. <laughs> I mean, I, I get, like, super nervous while playing a game, especially when you get up into the higher levels, mm-hmm. and you're like, fuck, I don't want to mess it up. I want this high score. Yeah, seriously. I, I think my fingers would be too sweaty to swipe the screen. And be like <laughs> no, ser- my, 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 uh, my oldest son, he's going to be, he is six. He's going to be seven in February. And so this year for Christmas, I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm not sure how I want to go with a gift because I want to get him some kind of a handheld gaming device, mm-hmm. and I think what mo- makes the most sense is a pencil, is an iPod Touch, but I think what I really want to do is spend forty bucks and get him a Game Boy off eBay or something, <laughs> you know, like like an old Game Boy, like yeah. the one I had, like maybe maybe upgrade him to like a Game Boy Color or something like that. Dude, but Castlevania, oh, dude. Just Tetris, like a Game Boy and Tetris. That's all he needs. So right. I don't right. know. I think you should do that. Right? I think he will hate you because his friends will have iPods, but I think you should do it anyway. And see, the thing about it, no internet. Yeah. Like, if you if you get sick of playing Tetris, that's cool. Like, it's hard to, like, I'm okay with him zoning in on that and not zoning in on, like, you know, whatever internet game that I'd get sucked into or yeah. something, you know, like... I don't know. No, the, I think the piece, I, I, this is sounds very half-baked, but like the idea of uh, someone that young using an interface like that that doesn't have the ability to be distracted all around it and yeah. having to actually, if you're going to expose someone young to a device like that, that it should be one that it, it, it requires some level of focus on yeah. one thing, right? Yeah. I think that's cool. I mean, maybe maybe a DS would be better. Maybe maybe an iPod Touch would be the dream thing. But like splitting hairs a little bit at this point. But. Yeah, but I mean, like <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. But a Game Boy. I mean, I mean, I kind of want to do it just so I can have it. Yeah, maybe that's my say, like. Maybe that's my for? hidden thing. I don't know. And how did you know how much one cost? <laughs> I'll say forty bucks on eBay. Yeah. Ends in I mean, six hours probably and even minutes. Probably even six cheaper minutes. than that. <laughs> <laughs> All from Why Is Jake? This Why Is Jake guy is bidding up himself. Oh my gosh, but yeah, so big big news, big week, yeah. exciting stuff going on. Hey, check us out on Apple News if you have an iDevice. Is that a horrible thing to say, iDevice? If you have an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod Touch, for iPod your kid Touch that uses Apple iOS nine, please check out Wired on Apple News and click every story and look at all the photographs. Yeah, check out the galleries yeah. and 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 make sure to tweet about it and say how much better we are than like the New York Times. <laughs> like I think that's the like what we're going for yeah, here. Yeah, their handle is at NY Times. So just make sure when you're saying how much better we are, which is at Wired, you use their handle as well so it comes up on their feeds. Yeah, so at Wired is so much better than at NY Times on Apple News. I think that's all you have to say. Yeah, maybe I throw an iOS 9 hashtag in there. Hashtag awesome. Hashtag mm-hmm. BTW. You should get your account verified before you do that, too. Oh, so yeah, then that'll show up on the New York Times. Yeah. Man, how do you do that? I could hook you up. <laughs> no, I think... Oh. <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, there's... I, th- I think they're about to make that process a little bit easier. Oh, really? Yeah. Right now, it's... Um, it's all about... It's a little onerous. Yeah. It's all about who you know. And I know Stoyer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, cool. Well, thank you for listening to. Oh, hey, we did this last week. I know you almost forgot and lunch. we almost forgot about it again, and we we have to remedy this. Yeah. So. For those that are tuning in for the first time, one of the highlights of the Web Monkey podcast, and really the entire reason we do this, is so we can talk about the good food that have that comes out of the Wired Kitchen every Thursday. And today, highlight again is Thai Thursday. Yeah, Thai Thursday. <laughs> Thai Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so today on the menu, what what do we what do we have today? I'm gonna look up the exact the exact thing from Travis. You know, this is going to be Travis's last Thigh Thursday. I, I talked to him about it today. I'm really sad about it. He's if like, anybody out there is, if either of you two are a, um, uh, a chef looking for a job in San Francisco, we are hiring we are. A, a, wired, a wired chef to run <clears throat> our kitchen. Today, Asian Thursday, uh, North, nor, sorry, Northern Thai curry with chicken or tofu. Uh, papaya salad with tomatoes, beans, peanuts, and spicy slash sour dressing. Korean noodles with carrots, kale, avocado, toasted almonds, and Korean barbecue sauce. Summer greens, steamed jasmine rice, coconut macaroons, Those and sweet and black tea. I, I could the, – the cookies were everything to me today. The curry was amazing. The salads were fantastic. But those macaroons – yeah, I would kill for. Those were wonderful. Did you do you remember the uh, gluten free peanut butter M M&M and M cookies from earlier this week? Or yes, maybe it was last week. Yes. They were extraordinary. Those really f***ed <laughs> up my <laughs> plan. Let me say, I was trying to be like really well behaved, and then I went cookie monster on those things. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> these coconut macaroons were basically like coconut mar- toasted marshmallows. Yeah. They were just delicious. They, they were outstanding. Were, they were really really good. Great, great lunch. Uh, once again, if you think you have a better lunch, um, I'd be happy to go to your place of business and eat there and talk about it <laughs> on the Web Monkey podcast. That's a really stick, man. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know why you're doing this. <laughs> um, anyways. How much action are you getting on that, by the way? None. Absolutely none. <laughs> no one challenges. I did get challenges. I did get some uh, some reader feedback though. Um, from, from, uh, Sir, Serenivas, uh, Rayo. Hey, how you doing, Serenivas? Uh, she wrote in, um, talking about her podcast called The Unmistakable Creative, and it's an animated series partnership that they cool. do. They, they do stories and then they animate them. Um, and it, they, she sent me a link to this just fantastic one. It was called, um, the Crossroads of Should and Must with L. Luna. And I watched it. really enjoyed it. It's a great little cartoon with a great little story behind it. And um, we'll put a link here. So thanks. So if you have cool stories. That, that got 15,000 views on YouTube. It does. That is 7,500 times as many listens as we're going to get. Published uh, a couple days ago, too. Wow. That's cool. Flying Serena through. Boss, yeah, own. killing it. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for joining me. My name is Jake Spurlock. You can find me at YIsJake on the Twitter, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the GitHubs, the whatever else. Joe? I'm, I'm Joe Brown. I'm Joe MF Brown on Twitter and Instagram, and I am at YIsJake on GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric? I am Eric Stoyer on Twitter, E-R-I-C-S-T-E-U-E-R. That is actually also my GitHub handle, but I don't do anything like GitHub-ish. So <laughs> I've participated in uh, feedback on other people's projects. That's what I do best is criticize. Uh, yeah, that's what that's what you're here for. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And this episode of the WebMonkey Podcast, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>